Uh, so today, well, the whole the whole title of our podcast is what we're afraid to say from the pulpit. And so let's uh, spend a little time talking about uh, preaching itself or how we do it or what's a sermon for? Welcome to What We're Afraid to Say from the Pulpit. Two preachers talking about what's a sermon for? What do you got? <laughs> and I imagine, I imagine all our listeners also uh, have heard many sermons in their lives from many different types of pastors. <laughs> and true. there are different types of ways to preach. Uh, the main two I always point out is um, pastoral and prophetic. Uh, pastoral is just a little more uh, caring and gentle and shepherding and guiding, right? Right. And then uh, prophetic is more pointing towards, if you think about the prophets in the Bible, they weren't, you know, Very nice. They weren't being gentle. They were <laughs> saying, hey, this, these are the things we need to pay attention to as the people of God. And so there's that type of preaching. Um, is there any other? No, I, I mean, there's those... storytelling. I mean... Um, oh, true. Just narrative. I mean, yeah. sometimes I am just walking through a story. I suppose there's... Well, yeah. And that's a legitimate piece. I know I often, once a year, would do something on the Joseph cycle or something like that, which is so long and gorgeous it really doesn't want much reflection. I like letting it hang out there and people, oh, I didn't know that story. Mm-hmm. We were just talking the other day about in COVID era here, how much uh, scripture's gotten cut back because we went, <laughs> went from 75-minute worship to 20-minute worship mm-hmm. on the first days of COVID and so cut scripture, everything way back. Um, it used to be, and many of our listeners, I suppose, would be accustomed to, no, there should be an Old Testament lesson and a New Testament lesson and maybe a psalm. And those are, of course, the worst sermons I've ever done where I've got three sources. I'm trying yeah. to drag everything in. Yeah. And I've found great permission giving in the last few years of honing on a handful of verses, 10 verses out of a story and just going with that. Yeah. No one seems to complain. Yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting. It's, uh... I have found in my time when I've used two different pieces of scripture in a sermon, uh, some feedback I tend to get would be like, that's too much. Just one, it's a lot. Right? It you scatters know? me. Yeah. There's too many, too many things to say. Yeah, so I think people prefer that one piece of scripture, and then you, you talk about the message you want to give to them through that piece of scripture that you feel like God is saying to us through it. Um, and sometimes that connects with people, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Actually, Let me ask. actually, all the time, it doesn't connect to some people yes. and does connect to some. And that's what makes yeah. it challenging. Yeah. It's some of my favorite sermons. I'm standing at the back of the sanctuary, and I, or, or actually, when, <laughs> when I'm preaching them, I can tell often, this is a dud. This is not landing. I can see the boredom, people checked out, or a different group of people coming later saying, that's the best sermon I've ever heard of, or thank you so much for this one piece. Yeah. It's a weird thing we do. I I was going to ask you, for me, how it turns out most of the time is a sermon, if I give a sermon, or I'm writing it, and I get up there and I'm like, oh, this sermon is not good at all. (laughs) And then I give it, and then afterwards I get... Is insight coming to you at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning uh as you're standing up in the pulpit? Yeah, and then I'm just like, well... This is a dog. Got to do it. (laughs) Right. But then afterwards, on those type of sermons... 
I get a lot of people that are like, best sermon I ever heard. And why, why is that? Is it because you've been forced to deliver the hell out of it and really punch it because you're overcompensating? I recognize that. Well, I don't know because, this thing. because there are the sermons that I'm excited about. And I'm like, this is really good. This is one of the best sermons I've ever created. And then I give it. And then there's crickets after the service, uh, right? Ouch. And so... I know. So now I'm just accepting whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not you, trying to create something uh, the same every time. I'm like, let's just see how it lands. And uh, yeah, but that always boggles my mind of the ones I don't think are any good. And people are like, best sermon I ever heard. And I'm like, okay, so what did? <laughs> what was good about it? But I think you and I, as pastors, preachers, we have a much different um, set of uh, expectations for sermon. Sure. Than maybe. The regular person sitting in the pew. <laughs> the regular person sitting in the pew as opposed to the person up in the pulpit. And you have a surprising expectation given your associate status. Uh, I think the worst sermons I gave were as <laughs> no, not true. Consider any of the last few months. Uh, uh, when you're trying to do too much in a sermon, this is a peculiarly associate problem. <laughs> you're preaching every three or maybe every five when I was first out of seminary, there was two associates, so I was preaching every six weeks, seven weeks. Yeah. Whereas uh, these days, when I'm writing my sermon and I get to Wednesday, Thursday, or God forbid it's my day off Friday, and I'm still thinking, I hate this. This is still not good. Mm -hmm. Invariably, what I'm trying to do is too much. And the luxury of being the head of staff is saying, oh, I can cut this whole page, so to speak. I'll use it next week. Mm -hmm. I'll use it next month when we're going to do a, I'll decide to do a series on. Yeah. So uh, it's harder for you in many ways, the whole cutting piece. To feel like, and maybe you've been here at New Hope long enough because I don't detect this in your preaching. I need to prove yourself. Mm -hmm. I need to swing for the fences, so to speak. You're up there. It's always an ongoing conversation. Yeah. And that's more of my style too. I'm just a laid back personality True. and and to me going up there like let's just have a conversation about this <laughs> invite people in that way um because i don't uh, i usually think about what i want to hear also right um, what would work for you sitting in the pulpit yeah in the pew rather sure yeah and i always my method and belief is always it, the gentle shepherding eventually leads people to that their hearts do change at least in this day and age in the area i grew up in the culture i grew up in and even here i know that if people get pushed too hard they They're, shut down right they, they they put up a wall and it doesn't matter what you say after that they they've put up that wall and they've made their decision and um and i guess you could maybe say it's kind of sneaky my method <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I'm think it's, no, it's now, not duplicitous. It, <laughs> it sounds very wise. Um, it sounds very, you're very huh. patient. I, I lack that patience often because what excites me about the text is what mm. I've been taught or what I've read over the years. And I think, I want them to know this or yeah. this matters for this reason. And that's what often overrides a more pastoral tendency yeah. is a prophetic urgency. And I think, well, this goes back to this, I suppose. Preaching is so weird. There's no place else in culture or in our 168 hours of the week where we sit passively and listen to one person, unless you're in school. 
small yeah. fracks are used to lecturing this kind of stuff. And or like TED Talks. TED Talks, some of that, yes, you pull up way. your YouTube. Yeah. So that takes a lot of patience. Those are mm -hmm. 10 and 12 minutes, not 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so I have that frustration of, of, it's a unique experience. There's so much to get to. Uh-huh. We have been trained. Here's my bias. You are, there's no arguing with you about the pastoral and the need for the gentle uh, motioning and encouraging. And I'm not at all convinced seminaries required for that, let alone a doctorate, let alone another 20, 30 years of experience. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. The people for whom I, I feel them erring on, I won't call it your side, because you're exactly right, of, I want a sermon that just makes me feel good, that makes me know that God loves me as I am. I think that's that's a legitimate need. Yeah. That is real. Uh, any of us could have given that sermon in high school yeah. or certainly college. Yeah. What was all this other stuff for? Can we not answer that right now, please? You know, I think oh, talking about that, the pastoral, the care, the gentleness, and then also the more, um, I don't know what term to use, maybe kind of the prophetic poking at your chest. Right, a little provocative, a little together, challenging. And, yeah, but both of those can be found in Jesus, right? Sure, they both got biblical Jesus, precedent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like neither of them are wrong, Um they're just the different styles and what people connect to. For like, you know, you, for your sermons, there are, there are people that really connect to it. They, they love it. And then there's more people that connect to my sermons because it's, it's the style, right? right? It's just based on right. how people are trained to listen, I think. And it is a lot about what I would prefer, putting ourselves out there. What, about, uh -huh. what would hold my interest for 15, 20 minutes? Yeah. And it's not the same for everybody. And there, another element in here would be just the professorial, the teaching, the that could be either of what we're describing, mm -hmm. a gentle, warm, humorous versus academic. Yep. Here's what you need. If you're going to understand theology in the 21st century, you need to know this. Well, yes. And does anyone want to hear that at 9 o'clock on a <laughs> Sunday morning? <laughs> yeah. What I have found... When I reflect on my life and how much I've changed theologically, spiritually, uh, mm. maturing-wise, I always think back and that didn't happen overnight. <laughs> that didn't happen in one setting. That, that happened with little things over time. And learning is like an unfolding. And so I always think in my head when I'm thinking of a sermon, will this, this makes sense to me and this is exciting to me. Like, right. Let's say Greek. I'm more of a Hebrew guy than Greek. I, <laughs> I heard you, you say that. Hebrew but, guy. Um, Good grief. <laughs> Hebrew is so much easier for uh, me. All right. I don't even know how that can be. Have you seen a Hebrew text lately? Uh, but, and I could be like, I, I could use this word and parse mm -hmm. it out and everything. Sure. Um, but then I remember before I learned all that, I... What? could care less right, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like how do I get how do I move it a little bit so that in that sermon I can move them towards it we're not there yet but we're going to keep moving towards mm -hmm, it patiently mm -hmm. over time um, so that's just more of my my style with that right yeah and it, with complex theological topics too it's like I can't jump from this idea uh, that general Christianity has of I just need to say a prayer to save my soul, then I'm going to go to heaven. 
can't jump <laughs> from that directly over to uh, more complex ideas around maybe um, oh, whatever nihilism, universalism, things like that. You, you kind of have to yes. hop along the way. Philosophical or cultural things that we find meaningful or intriguing mm-hmm. that might have no landing anywhere. We've talked about this also, <laughs> looking at our Twitter feeds or even Facebook or something, where you find the latest uh-huh. argument. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a whole category of stuff that I would never bring into my preaching. The, frankly, I don't find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Theological arguments. Yeah. I, mean, I think, oh, this is, I'm glad to be done with that. Uh-huh. I was done 10 or 20 or 30 mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. It just never floated my boat. For arguing those pieces, I always do ask, "What would I want to hear? What would, what would be interesting to me?" And of course, because I'm a nerd and because I loved school, uh-huh. for me it wasn't. Uh, it was gradual, but it was also a succession of, "Oh my God! Remember when this person taught this in class, and we all gasped and talked uh-huh. about it all during lunch." Uh-huh. As a student of life, remember, remember this book I read, and the answer to that is the book, most recent book I've been reading, that made me think, "Oh." This sh- the congregation should know this. This would be great in a sermon. Yep. Um, <laughs> but some, <laughs> I know that feeling sometimes when you bring it in. And it's a bust. You think, are why like, did what? I try yeah. this? Why yeah, are we yeah. talking about yeah. this? Yeah. Thanks for listening to What We're Afraid to Say from the Pulpit. Well, and like you said, the Twitter thing, there's been times where I think, oh my gosh, this is a big theological argument going on in the Christian world. That's just the people that the algorithm works for on Twitter. (laughs) It's really not the Christian world, yes. The question, we were talking about this in our last episode of Does Theology Matter? Do uh, our congregants, our beloved uh, sheep of our fold, do they think theology uh, theologically very often? The answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've got this arcane collection. Yeah. You like talking about movies and TV. Uh-huh. I like talking about music or doing music or making that connection. Literally, it's often uh, what animates me, what keeps me being a pastor and want to do this job. Yeah. And so I feel like uh, almost anything is fair game. If it checks that box, it's going to leak into a sermon sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Keep looking for episode four when Jordan and I finish our conversation around uh, sermons. What are they for? 